He is the shadow of Saint Nicholas. It's Christmas. Nothing bad's gonna happen on Christmas. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to the NTZ of Films Season 2. I'm your co-host, Andy James. And I'm your other co-host, Rajiv Mishra. And today we are talking Krampus. Krampus, let's go! This is the NTZ of Film. With Andy and Rajiv. And we're back. Today uh, we've got a very special guest with us. the amazing Mr. Dan Slevin. Uh, amazing. Heard, <laughs> amazing. Who you may have heard on his own podcast, the Russian Taurus podcast, and he works at Radio Z on various things and is a Renaissance man of a type. Uh, and, <laughs> and today uh, we're talking about the movie Krampus. I'm, I'm going to do a uh, synopsis for you here. A boy who has had a bad Christmas ends up accidentally summoning a Christmas demon to his family home. Yeah, that's it. Okay, so uh, I'm going to run through um, the box office just quickly. Uh, today, for some reason, box office mojo uh, was not working. Um, so I've used the IMDb to give us uh, this had a budget of $15 million and made a domestic gross of $42 million, So it made a profit of 27 So the people that like to know about commercial success, there it is. So, Dan, do you want to start us off? You got anything? Sure. Well, actually, money's an interesting uh uh, an interesting introduction to to the discussion about this one. If, funnily enough, we, when my wife and I were talking after we'd seen the film last night uh, about this, we were trying to work out what the point of it was, <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, and that from you know, it, and particularly about why we would want to talk about it on a podcast dedicated to films made in New Zealand because it's not really a New Zealand film in any way, shape or form, apart from the fact that <laughs> roughly $15 million got spent here. Um, you know, so that's great. It's great for the industry and it's great for the craft and all of those uh, technologies and uh, underneath all of the uh, makeup and puppets would have been quite a lot of local talent. Um, there's, I think, maybe one New Zealand actor whose face is seen in the film. Um and there's various bits of New Zealand creativity um, on the on a technical level and behind the scenes and design and, and what have you. So you know there's, there's a lot of New Zealandness in it, but there's no you'd never know that watching no, it. And wouldn't. the and the fact no, no it's no. it's like the least possibly the least New Zealand-ish film we've talked about. Yeah, uh, so far I think uh, in this uh, vertical limit I would argue, but yeah, probably. Well, at least at Vertical le- Limit had Timur Morrison. Yeah, <laughs> and at least in Vertical Limit, it's about things that New Zealanders do. <laughs> Mountain climb. Yeah. <laughs> we don't do Christmas yeah. so much. We do Christmas. Um, we don't do I'm, this kind of Christmas. No, we don't. I'm curious, Dan, because um, I have, I have, I'm, I'm a facts and trivia guy. Often on this podcast, I have uh, a fact about who the New Zealand face is. I'm curious as to who you think it is. Well, um, Curtis Val plays ah, the. Ah, you got it. The DHL man. <laughs> Um, and uh, Toyfakati grad, and uh, you know, a, a, a director of a feature film in his own right, uh, and 
I think that uh, he's got another one in development as well. Actually, I think they just got a got a, a grant uh, to develop further that, that their second feature together. So that's um, so yeah, Curtis um, Luke Hawker plays Krampus himself. So underneath all of the um, the makeup and costumes, uh, I recognise his name. There were quite, there were a few names rec- recognisable, uh, and and actually, and there's an opening sequence set uh, slow motion opening sequence set in. A, uh, a Christmas store where people are fighting and it's all it, it opens up that whole idea of the cynicism of, of of the fact that we just don't take we don't treat Christmas with the kind of respect that it uh, deserves anymore and it's all the commercialization of it and what have you and my wife uh, was going oh that's a toy grad that's a toy grad <laughs> so there they were as as, sort of, as, as extras uh, basically in that in that sequence um, this is excellent. The, the, you know, but it's ninety nine percent of it is shot at Stone Street Studios, so indoors. Yes. Uh, so there's not even any landscape really. Oh, yeah. there's, oh, no, there's the, no, there's no New Zealand landscape. But but that opening sequence was Mitre Ten in Lower Hut. So, yeah, and uh, we, we we I thought that store looked familiar. We watched the, we, that we have international. That's a hardware <laughs> store here in New Zealand. Yeah, we watched that uh, sequence and and we went. Oh, that's that's my tent. We we thought we thought it was Upper Hut, and that's because that's our one, right? That's that's our one. And I'm sure everybody watching it in New Zealand wants to claim that Mitre Ten as their own Mitre Ten. Oh, that looks like the Mitre Ten down the road. That's because right. it, it's got orange bits in it. You're like, oh, there's an orange bit. That's Mitre Ten. Mitre Ten's coming. I was very out. disappointed to find out it was the Petoni Mega, and you know, because we, we that's not our that's not our local. So we we thought that we had a, ba- a, a little tiny connection to this film, but we did. I have a, we me and Andy have a big connection. Um, first of all. The desk that I am talking to you at, uh, I made myself from uh, plywood purchased at that that hardware store. Get uh, out! <laughs> no, no, <laughs> completely true. Uh, and the second bit is our, our good friend Nick uh, worked there for three or four years uh, when he was studying at university. So yeah, there's our connection to this film. <laughs> our New Zealand connection. See, it's got a Kiwi connection, a really strong Kiwi connection <laughs> well, there. And yes. well, not only that, but let's be honest, um, as a, a as presumably. Uh, I'm not quite sure, but ba- ba- bearing in mind Andy's current um, tax non-residence status and the fact that he lives in a in a well-known uh, tax haven, uh, probably this doesn't impact on you quite so much. But certainly for Rajiv and myself as New Zealand tax My second payers, tax haven. <laughs> that's right, uh, New Zealand. I'm a New Zealand taxpayer. I'm just not earning. Right. Well, you know, so Rajiv and me. Uh, and I, sorry, get get the grammar right. Um, Rajiv and I, we 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 actually paid for this film. We did, yeah, yeah, for sure. Through, through the fifteen percent tax credits that um, right. they will have received. They're right. That's right. Um, and I and I have like many many personal friends I know uh, looking reading those credits that I worked on this film. I know people that worked on this film personally, so they're grateful for for my hard earned tax dollar going to their paychecks. Oh, and and I, I don't begrudge them any of it actually. And I, and and. You know, I, while I might be cynical about the quality of the film and its New, Ze- New Zealandness or otherwise, I am. I think that an industry of the kind that we're wanting to build here and we've kind of got to build here needs these imported gigs so that um, decent budgets get spent on our um, craft and design and technology specialists so that they can get more experience, get better skills, buy more toys, all those sorts of things. And, you know, and, and I know that uh, from for producers of films like this, they could have gone anywhere. You know, they could, they could have found a, a soundstage in Romania or uh, Queensland or wherever. And um, But the I think 
the clincher will have been the fact that they could have worked so closely uh, alongside Weta uh, Workshop because the practical effects in this, the puppetry and the model making and what have you, I think could only really have been done on the kind of budget that they wanted at the kind of quality that they were after by working very, very closely with, with Weta here in Wellington. That's right. They're, they're, the physical proximity to Stowe Studios is is, is amazing. Uh, they're just down the road. Um, and I just, reading the credits, it's like, it seemed like a total of seven people from Weta Workshop. So they must have had other people helping, but the core the core group is very small and clearly very talented. I mean, the practical work on display is is, is great. I loved it. Yeah. That was, and it, I mean, as much as you seem to have phenomenal. not liked the film, that was incredible. The puppets were frightening and scary and well-made. And speaking with my other with my other hat on, my non RNZ hat on, which is that I'm the marketing and communications manager for Toy Vicardi, the New Zealand Drama School. Mm-hmm. Um, it was very pleasing to note that, that a lot of the the Weta credits and the behind the scenes credits are uh, non acting grads from the uh, drama school, so design grads, um, costumiers, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So you know that's it's uh, again proving that there is actually. Uh, there are careers to be made in uh, screen and performing arts in New Zealand after after you've you've done your degree. So we've you know I think that you know I I, I praise its existence. This film just don't make me watch it again. <laughs> this is, is going to be good. Like I, I full okay. disclosure, I well, enjoyed we, this film, but uh, we'll continue on with yeah. this discussion. Shall we? Shall we get into the actual talking of the of the film and not the? Um, oh, can I can I make more, one more the, mention? The things surrounding it. Or? One more mention. Yeah. I wanted to talk about Witter Digital because they, you know, it's it's a very practical film, but there's there's a few digital things. There's a beautiful animated sequence in the middle, which I loved. I thought was fantastic. Oh, that's uh, which, lovely. Yes, yes. Oh, more gorgeous, of that, please. Yeah. More of that, yeah, that, and that's that's all done by with a digital team, and they they had a um, a brief from Michael Doherty, the director, that they want he wanted it to look as um, stop motion practical as possible. And it's something I didn't notice uh, during the film when I was reading about it later. I was like, oh yeah, of course. Uh, the the only fully rendered character is is Omi herself, but everything else is a shadow. It's like a puppet or a two D animated thing. And I thought that's that's cool. It's a really nice element in the middle of the movie i i do like i think harry potter did it as well i like it when they break out into these animated things in the middle of films it's good stuff it was beautiful and it, yeah very similar um with the harry potter one looking like a like a shadow play so using cgi to make it look very practical taken to its extreme with the lego movie of course Oh, that's right. Um, so yeah, so so uh, we can we can talk about the thematics and stuff now. But uh, that's that was a good start too. Start Dan Slevin, you're you're full of uh, tidbits of trivia. Well, just, you're just, great. just before we leave the wetted digital um, side of it, 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 although a lot of the film is practical and uh, uh, you know shot shot for real with 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 models and puppets and and costumes and makeup etc cetera, etc. Cetera, um, there's I would say that there would be not very many shots that don't have a digital treatment of some description because I would imagine that all of the um, the cold air breathing the that that they do because it's in the middle of a snowstorm and a, 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 course, a blizzard yeah. I would imagine that all of that was added later. That's true. No, that would make sense because lower hut uh, strange shooters would be it would get cold, but not that cold. <laughs> no, not that cold. <laughs> Uh, cool, uh, Andy. Do you you were going to move us into the discussion of the actual film? Is there something you want to start with? Um, I was Dan, obviously not a fan of it. Um, I was wondering if you've seen his previous film and what you thought of that trick or treat. Me or Dan? No. Dan, 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 Dan. Sorry, no. It's Dan. Is the answer? 
Oh, I, I, <laughs> no, I haven't. Sorry, that was... Uh, oh, no, you didn't like it. No, I haven't seen it. I, I In fact, I wasn't familiar with the uh, writer-director, the auteur's name, Michael Doherty, uh, before last night and uh, did a quick little bit of um, IMDBing to find out where he fits into the pantheon um, and was... You know, he wrote the story for X Men Apocalypse this year, um, and was also wrote the oh, story for Superman well, Returns. Well, he's he's credited as who the hell knows about these studio films who actually gets the credit for the abomination that was about X Men Apocalypse? Who knows? No, well that's right. Well, presumably his agent decided it was very important that he get credit for it. <laughs> that's true. You're right about that. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Uh, sorry. <laughs> This like shitting on X Men X Men films. Um, he is also behind Super Returns, which maybe wasn't all that good, but I still enjoyed it. Um, certainly better than Man of Steel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I enjoyed Trick or Treat. It's an anthology film. Um, uh, New Zealand's own Anna Paquin is in a part of it as well. Um, but yeah, I, don't, I I agree with Dan. I don't think he's got the best track record, but you know, he seems to have been un- taken under the wing of like his credits. Uh, Brian Singer related credits aren't they so his first screenplay credit is x2 which is a brian singer film superman returns is a brian singer film and then of course x-men apocalypse um brian singer film so that seems to be his sort of entry into the industry and the the meal ticket yeah and uh they've got um he's got some help from i was i, I also imdb'd uh, a guy called todd casey is a co-writer and uh, zach shields uh, Zach Shields only seems to have this as his credit, but the other guy, um, I think Andy would be interested in, did lots of animation, and Andy's a big animation guy. He did like the new Avengers cartoons, new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, uh, Batman, Brave and Bold, Green Lantern. Oh, that's a great cartoon. Well, there you go. <laughs> I can't talk on that stuff, but Andy can. Yeah, yeah, because um, I'm nothing more than a grown child, really. Um, I and and on that, I I really enjoyed this film perhaps not as much as Trick or Treat um, but especially I mean if I'd watched this when I was perhaps a younger person 13 or something or even a kid I think I would have enjoyed it even more do you think that the creature design is, is, is way too dark for kids I could just yeah I don't know who its audience is yeah that's 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 why I think it's good <laughs> Kids need to be scared a little bit, really. What was the rating? What was it PG, rated? PG thirteen. Right. PG-13. So the so the um in in classic uh rating of rating manipulation terms, the the one use of the F curse word was used in a non sexual context and therefore you're allowed the one in order to maintain your PG rating and I counted the one. But it's it. I thought it was good too. I thought it was great. Anyway, yeah, yeah. I'm, 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 I know that. that yeah. Okay. So PG. So it would have, and that would have uh, contributed greatly to that to that box office you were talking about at the beginning, because you know that's at that, there. There would have been a lot of teenagers who um, drag their parents you know, along, drag their well, or just would have been able to go and, and experience something and a little more, more transgressive yeah. than than um, you know. They didn't have to sneak into something that they weren't allowed to, but it was still you know would still have been dark enough for a teenage audience, like a thirteen or fourteen year old audience. So yeah, but that PG also. I mean, we're getting into the being a cynical box office reader, but that that that's the perfect because they makes people take their parents along, so they get extra money. As well, right? That's that's the whole yeah. thing with a PG as opposed to a G or where you can drop your kids off or whatever. Um, 
it's interesting because I, I really enjoy the film too, and I've got lots of reasons why. But I'm I'm very interested to hear Dan. Um, I would like to know what what the deal is because you're a great film reviewer. So let's hear this. Okay, so I felt that it was um, tonally confused, or maybe I was tonally confused by it. Maybe that's more <laughs> more like it. Um, but and it's part. It's I guess it's partly because I I wasn't sure going in quite how horror I was it was going to get or um or or otherwise and and I think it does do quite a nice job probably of um being a kind of a family a family comedy in that sort of uh home alone Christmas vein you know for the first sort of half an hour or so um where you know the horrible relatives come to come to visit and um you get it uh, the you know the characters are reasonably well drawn, or if not, you know, perhaps a little too broad. So, um, but well, kind of like well drawn enough to give you an idea. Yeah, and because they yeah they are they're not subtle. No characters. No, heck but no. that's fine. Um, and I just felt like that the action was not terribly well directed in terms of like coherence and being able to just like go well what's actually happening here what room are we even in what i, I agree where are we going that. yeah i just it, i i guess i get the feeling that perhaps it was maybe a better written thing than a better than it was directed um and maybe that's a budget relate, related thing as well in that you know these things that what did you say at the beginning 15 million 15 million is not a big budget for i think that's a, um, i think that's the, a lie anyway but yeah yeah, yeah, well, that's right. The accounting people will have you have you believe that. But the but, but I yeah, I suspect that maybe they didn't necessarily get the coverage that they they would have wanted in some of those action um, things. And it may well be inexperience on the part of Doherty in terms of being able to um, to to really uh, keep an audience engaged through that stuff. I think it isn't as funny as it would like to be, you know, and and as perhaps as satirical. I think that the 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 um, David Kochner's family's characters are, I think, m- intended to be perhaps more satirical than they come across as, um, and so yeah, I just feel like it's it, there, there's a, there are quite a lot of missed opportunities there, and and I I didn't really enjoy anybody's performances except for Tony Collette, who is always brilliant. What about oh come on, what about Kristen Studler? She was amazing. She's only had a small part, but every time the camera was on her face, the aunt, aunt was it Grandma Omi? Uh, I was Omi, just like, yeah. she's stunning. <laughs> well, we had a little bit of an issue with her character in the first sort of half of the film because she speaks German, subtitled German, but everybody can understand her, and everybody speaks English back to her, and she can understand them. And we were going, and and my my wife who speaks German and is. Um, has as German heritage got quite frustrated <laughs> about about that. Like, well, why can't they just speak German back to her? And we couldn't really w- w- work out apart from the fact that why that might be. Apart from the fact that the actors don't speak German and they couldn't pull it off. Oh, I don't know. It just it wasn't, seem- that was an issue to me. Uh, me being a migrant, I I completely understand that. I have a friend that visits from Fiji who speaks uh, Hindi and my Hindi is okay but it's not that great so I just tend to speak English but people from Fiji all speak English too so he's more comfortable speaking Hindi and I speak English back to him yeah it seems okay. fine to me 
but I just thought she was, I just thought, I, I tried to find out what she's been in, and she's been in lots of, lots of German TV and stuff. Uh, me and my wife were both amazed by her performance. Like, there's a, there's a shot where, where, um, where, Max goes, Dad, what do we do now? And they're all tr trying to figure out what's going to happen next, and it's all scary. And uh, Adam Scott goes, we'll keep the fire going. And the camera pans over to her, and she's just like a badass stoking the fire. I was like, mm. she's awesome. She's cool. But um, no, I, I agree with pretty much everything you're saying. I, I do feel like they're, they're, the characters are a bit too broad. Not entirely sure if that's essential for a horror comedy. Felt like maybe they could have been. Well, it wasn't. Uh, it, it's not really funny enough to be a horror comedy, I don't think. That's you know, like a, there were no gut busting laughs really. It was it, and and it and and it felt to me a little bit like some of the humor, the the intended humor was a little bit cruel towards its characters. That that it, it was a bit um, nasty. That's that's the word I've got written down as well, nasty. But I wrote that down as a positive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. I, I would agree with nasty as a positive. I think it just sticks. Um, perhaps, <laughs> yeah. um, maybe more puckish. It's a little bit mischievous. I think. I think towards its characters, darkly mischievous. Yeah. Um, I mean, I can't. I can't find myself really disagreeing with with anything you're saying, Dan. But I still enjoy yeah. it. Um, Dan's, Dan's pretty much. Uh, I think it. I think it would almost um, work better shorter, more condensed. Mm. Perhaps if, like, Trick or Treat, it was part of a, um anthology. Perhaps if it was a yeah. Krampus uh, film where Krampus visits different houses or something, perhaps. It did feel like it was stretched broad, out a bit. Yeah, those broad characters are broad enough for a short sequence where you go, yep, I know who that is, I know who that is, I know who that is. Mm. Um, and then they're all taken out, however... And then moves on to the next house or any such thing. Yeah. Because, yeah, yeah. yeah it does kind of. It feels a little bit stretched out in the middle there. Yeah, it's interesting because Max is Max's letters right at the start, and it sort of sketches this idea that uh, the, the visiting family, um, uh, David Kutchner and his wife, are having financial troubles and stuff, and that he wishes his kids were were boys instead of girls, all that sort of stuff. And it's kind of like, it's just left as that. And I think we had enough time to go into that a little bit more, but we never did, right? I mean, yeah, Krampus kind of comes in fairly quickly mm. and it almost takes place over a couple of nights, I think, doesn't it? Yeah. The 23rd and the 24th? That's right. Yeah, so if it had been condensed perhaps into one night mm. with maybe a couple of less characters to try and service or knock off. Well, that, I think I think it could have gone in, in both of those directions would have been profitable. One, one make it more condensed, tighter, um, or use the fact that they've got these nights where they're stuck in the house alone, afraid, to actually get some more character development happening. Uh, you know, either either way would have been yeah. profitable, I think, but they, they but neither neither actually happened. Yeah, it's interesting that uh, Dan, what you, you you said you were confused by the tone, but I would argue that uh, what you're saying is I was just looked this up in Rotten Tomatoes, which I often hate, but most of the most of the critics are saying exactly what you're saying. They're they're they think the tone is either it's too sentimental to sell the 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 feel good family nature, and then it's too it's too nasty and mean spirited to to you know marry with their other tone. And it's funny because I, I kind of agree with Andy. Like, I, I thought they worked together. It, may, it just got me thinking, I run down here, that this is a very niche 
film in that sense. It's sold as a sort of yeah. very straightforward horror comedy that's big and it's PG and everyone goes see it. But I think the audience is kind of like maybe me and Andy and it's people that have that sort of sensibility because uh, it's not really a horror film and it's not a family film and it doesn't do either very well. But what it does marry them together, I kind of like it. It feels like an Amblin film, like a Spielberg Amblin film, but like me. Like, polter- like Poltergeist, that sort of era. Yeah, but more funny, like like a meaner yeah. sort of a meaner, lighthearted version. It's definitely mean. Like Pol- Poltergeist is too serious. Like I think this is much lighter than that. It's kind of gleeful about how it disposes of its characters, and and actually that's one of the things that intrigues intrigued me about it while I was watching it was that you know I was trying to marry it to the kind of films that I'm used to and thinking oh well okay so in if it's this kind of film in what order are they going to dispose of people and who's going to survive that was the kind of trying to work out because there are certain cliches around you know haunted house movies or you know ensemble movies where you know there's they're being picked off one by one it's like okay who's going to be left left at the end and i do think that the script wise the 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 story itself the way it resolves is actually really clever it's very it's very dark it's very the, dark. That yes. ending. That's the end is um, so dark. But, but not... I actually was a little confused by it because I was like, there's no way it's that dark, surely. Yeah. <laughs> and then it okay, finished. No, it is. Yeah, yeah. But like that's, actually the, that's possibly they're, the best part of it. They're trapped forever. Uh, in, like, I, I read on IMDb that they have been sent to the underworld. I don't know that, what that means, but they're trapped forever in the slow globe held by Krampus. Are they forever to live Christmas Day over and over again? Is that is that the takeaway? Because that's horrible. That's a terrible ending. <laughs> Well, it's not a terrible well, ending. It's actually a really, it's actually a really good ending. No, I mean know, the ending's for a, good for a yeah. film. It's an, it's a, it's an unusual ending. It's an original ending, and it's one that doesn't, that that you you do, you know, the film ends and you look at you, each other and go, wow, Jeez. okay. So it's actually quite a brave ending, I think. Yeah, and I, I that's my favorite part of the movie too. Like, because when when I was going to rewatch it, I said to Dawa, my wife was on like, oh yeah, it's got such a because she really liked she connected in this film one hundred percent. She loved it. We saw it in the cinema, uh, and I I had this feeling like it it ended happily, like they defeated Krampus, like you know Krampus touches uh, Max's tear, and I thought, oh Max's Max's good goodness has defeated Krampus. That's my memory of it. When I was watching the film, I was like, oh no, that's not right at all. <laughs> it's not right in the slightest. They, they, they lose completely. Like they all, yeah. yeah, I kind of thought that they would win, and then all of the snowmen on their f- front yard would shake off the snow and be the characters. Ah, yes. You know, everyone returned because the Howie, the it does Howie Junior or whatever disappears, and then there's a little a little snowman out front with his hat and scarf on. It does do a very good job of signalling that that's the possibility, and that that would be the Amblin sort of um, ending, and. Um, I think that and completely pulling the rug out from under you. Yeah, which is I th- I, that that I think works works well, and uh, I think it, that's probably another reason why you know I, I can think of like you know fourteen to sixteen year old boys getting a real kick out of this film because that's that's the kind of twist that really appeals to to kids at that age. You know, that, it's like unpredictability, it's cynical, and it's dark, and I think that that's that bespeaks to um, how well it did at the box office. I think that it was that probably that that audience that responded best to it. I've got a question for both of you because I haven't had a chance to look this up and I noticed that when we were searching for this on iTunes last night, there were two other Krampus movies um, that were there on, uh, on iTunes so we had to make sure we've got the right one. And also, I don't know to what extent this 
Krampus legend, this mythology, how far back it goes, whether it's a, a relatively new construction or whether it's a like like the old Saint Nick, you know, the the, the malevolent old Saint Nick from um, ancient uh, ancient European sort of mythology. I don't know how far back it goes. I wonder if you could help me out. I did some reading, uh, uh, and uh, I read on the Wikipedia page for Krampus that that uh, it's an Austro-Bavarian Alpine folklore uh, about a half goat, half demon who punishes children uh, who misbehave. And he often visits with St. Nick. Uh, there were, I saw wood carvings of uh, both Krampus with his hooves and horns uh, there with a happy-looking St. Nick, and he's he's grabbing a, a naughty child and putting it into his bag, and St. Nick is giving out presents. So um, I didn't look up the years. I imagine that's that's going back a while. I don't know what, what years wood cuttings were done. but uh, so, so European... Think, yeah, the, the, legend, the legend of Krampus goes back quite a long way, but the popularity i guess of krampus is fairly recent right, they, so they european do. audiences would get it like it's very much like part of their mythology and this is uh, an import into into the into into the us um for the first time is that right i think so i'm not entirely sure they do i think this was probably the first um i think the f- definitely the first major film to have Krampus and it wasn't Kevin Smith talking about doing one as he well he was yeah and, and there was like a I guess in recent times like there's been a Tumblr thing like before the movie came out people were like into Krampus like kids are into Krampus and it was I think Devin Faraci on Birth Movies they sort of talked about it being like as ubiquitous as people being into bacon there's a two <laughs> there's a 2013 film called Krampus the Christmas Devil That's written it. and directed by Jason Hull that's a US uh low budget nobody you'd ever know in it film but that's also on itunes so easily um confused i would imagine for those people searching yeah that's funny that came out first because that's that's on my uh, that's available on netflix here here as well and so uh, when i was checking to see if krampus was available on netflix i saw that and i thought it was like perhaps a cheapy cash and asylum film but okay no it came first and was a cheapy Cash in film of a sort. I wonder if these are these are due to that movie Rare Exports, where like Christmas is being held as like a uh, being used to tell horror stories, like being as an like an alternative Christmas stories. People, I love Rare Exports. <laughs> yeah, I love Rare Exports as well. That's a great film. And the 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 Santa at the end of that is almost more Krampus like. He's got the big horns and everything. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Definitely. Yeah, it's 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 weird because I. It's more like the Krampus and Saint Nick in one Godzilla-like <laughs> creature. I did read about Krampus that I was, I was reading. They do festivals in the mountains, also the Bavarian mountains, like, and they modernise it. So there are dudes that are dressed up in like gothic sort of punk face Krampus outfits. But it seems like a big deal in some communities. Like they, they dress up and have an annual Krampus festival. In other news, he said, clicking through various. IMDb links. Uh, there is a sequel to the Krampus, the cheapy Krampus that we were just talking about, called Krampus: The Devil Returns, which is not out yet, but there is a trailer for it apparently, and it's made uh, by the same writer-director, Jason Hull. So obviously, uh, whoever, no, nobody has managed to do a Disney and actually sort of lock down ownership of this no. particular mythological creature. Uh, yeah, I think. I, get, I mean, I don't know James, this whole guy. He, he might have. He's obviously very interested in Krampus. He's making sequels. But I get the feeling like Michael. Well, Michael, his first one obviously did well enough that 
it can get a it's sequel. I mean, Michael Doherty, I feel, has a love. I mean, as much as you don't like it, and, and I don't think it's the best film, but I think he has a love of this idea, this character, and he's he's put it into his film. And I feel like he's following in that, that album footsteps. I'd be interested to see, because I do think his direction uh, was lacking in the action sequences. I felt like it was fine when he's got the family dynamic and everyone's being scared and ramping up tension, but when it comes to actually like shooting things in the dark and that sort of thing, I was a little bit left uh, wanting geographically. So I'd be I'd be interested to see where he comes up with next, to see if he's growing as a director. I kind of hope he does Another Holiday, but with a horror twist. That's right. Oh, yeah. It's just to keep going. So he's That's got a, a you know, thematic through line to his... To his work, right. but yeah, yeah, the um the attic sequence in particular was was it the attic yeah. or was it the older daughter's bedroom? I wasn't yeah, I wasn't too sure about that. Yeah. It was a bit too dark and yeah, I mean, uh, couldn't quite understand where everyone was in relation to one another and everything. That's right. Alison Tolman is all of a sudden wrapping presents. I'm like, oh, is she in the attic? Oh, what happened? When, when did she go up there? But it looks like yeah. it looks like one of the bedrooms. But no, it's also okay. And yep, sure. Okay. Uh, uh, Dan, have you seen uh, the amazing film Torque? Pardon me? Have you seen Torque? <laughs> T-O-R-Q-U-E with Martin Henderson? No, no, oh, I okay. haven't. Oh, that's a great film. We should talk about that. <laughs> well, just, I just remembered... Wait, wait, we're talking about Torque. I just remembered that Adam Scott was the bad guy in Torque, and I was like, oh, he's, he's, got a, he's made a movie with another, Christ, or another Kiwi dude. I just... Anyway, sorry, that was a, that was a, that was a random well, aside. I ha- I have to say that uh, that I've I've never been a fan of Adam Scott and partly because he seems to specialize in playing dicks and the and so I've it's been he, he's a, he's an actor that I've never warmed towards and it, I was kind of looking forward to seeing ha- whether he could pull off the 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 father figure role you know the dad role and I know that the character is troubled and the relationship between he and Tony Collette is troubled and they're sort of and you're thinking that maybe this is where the film is going they're going to reconcile and everything will be you know that would be the happy ending the family all brought together and what have you but he still just doesn't have the weight really to 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 carry a, a, a film by himself he's sort of out Outshone by Colette, certainly, and outshot by David Kochner, which, um, which, you know, you, you, you know, you shouldn't shouldn't be happening, really. Well, I guess uh, it's interesting because I, uh, I thought he was a terrible father. I think I think maybe that's the point. Maybe that's not a good thing. But uh, even when he goes to, when he goes to reassure Max, like you, you just said, he's like a dick, and I feel like he has he he does have a lightweightness about him and i wonder if that's supposed to be there that's what i thought like he's trying to reassure her his son about like oh this is what family does you have to be together his sons are like why and he's all like mm, i don't know yeah <laughs> i just thought it's probably really well, good I, cast I, I, I was actually on his side i was like well yeah you have to do it because family but what if family's a bunch of dicks yeah but but you're but he's trying to be the reassuring father figure in that moment and it doesn't work i just uh, but I, but that added to the well, comedy for me. I found it amusing rather than like I wasn't like judging him for being a terrible father. I was like, that's funny. You're a terrible dad. <laughs> but it does it does it does play into the fact that he does have a lightness of touch, and I think that's why maybe he doesn't work so well in something like this, where as the film goes on, he's supposed to be like taking care of his flock, as they say, with shotguns. Yeah, yeah. He has to take charge, and 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 that and, and that taking charge doesn't work for me. Hmm. Well, he dies, so 
I guess it doesn't work for him either. Okay. <laughs> they all die. I yeah for and on that just it's it's uh, I guess with the PG thirteen rating, uh, it's very bloodless, despite yeah. all of the very freaky puppet work and everything and and literally every character being dragged That's right. off. They get sucked into holes in the ground or up chimneys or what have you, but we never actually see their 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 final fate. Which is why I thought they were going to come back, and which is why I feel like that rug pull yeah. at the end is great, because I'm like, oh, they don't come back. Like, I thought, oh, they haven't been killed. They're they're like, they're just in a holding place somewhere in Purgatory or something. But they never do. They never come Trapped. Back. Forced to have Christmas over and over and over again. Yeah, and, and but it was a nice it was a nice Christmas. It was it was the nice Christmas that the little boy wished for. But it was right up until and he it was nicely, his present, and they all realised it was nicely handled as well. That because because the cause in in those performances they all start looking at each other when he's you know and going uh oh he's he's mm. he's found out <laughs> he knows that something's up, and uh, that and and that's they're, they're great clues to the audience. So like the ending is 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 uh, is a strong one and it, and and a brave one, and uh, I can see why you would leave the theatre wanting to recommend it to other people which is why it makes makes money because you know you come out going wow that wasn't what i expected and every every other film i've seen this year was exactly what i expected so you know good on it for that i'm i'm going i'm going into the into specifics what you just said sorry just cuz i'm like that um you said oh, he's found out do you mean like they they're in on the joke with krampus or do you just mean like the audience has found out that he's found out no 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 I, I i got the i got the impression that they all the adults or everybody else because he's he's the last one to wake up right so uh and he, he comes downstairs and he thinks that everything's fine and then think he he opens up the present the the box and it's got the krampus bell in it and he goes oh what's this all about and then all of the other characters start looking at each other going ah oh, he knows he oh, knows that this is yeah i got the impression oh, yeah, that they I, knew exactly I, what their what their torture was going to be for the next for you know for eternity and they were, they were trying to make it good might. on the kid oh, okay yeah oh, I, got, I didn't get that i just got oh, their role see i yeah no i totally read that as they they didn't know until he got the krampus bauble out oh. and then they he looked at it and was like, oh crap. And then his mum looked at it. And as they they were all realising and remembering as well. Yeah, it's right. interesting. I'm probably I, I wrong. Kinda like, I kind of like Dan's, Dan's idea because it kind of makes it like, oh, they're all buggered, but at least now they are coming together as a family to... To try uh, and make it better for him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or, 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 or for each other or just to pretend, you know, and then the, the pretending falls apart really quickly. Hmm, that's interesting. I like that idea. Um, so I think we're wrapping up. I had I had three questions uh, for everyone, mainly for Dan because he's our special guest. <laughs> Holy smokes, um, questions! But it's it's just, and I think we've already answered this. But I just written down just to give it some structure. Uh, do you think it works as a horror film? And if not, do you think it works as a Christmas film? And if not, do you think it works as something else, Dan? Okay, so I think the fact that they released it on Halloween gives us a clue that it's not a Christmas film. Or that it's not, you know, it's not going to be one of those ones that that, that trots up on, on television on, you know, on Christmas Eve or, or what have you, while the family's all gathered around the, 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 the television. And, you know, it's not. I don't think it's going to be a Christmas tradition. But I think that uh, the intention is that it be a, a kind of more of a Halloween, uh, Halloween thing. And uh, I, I'm no expert in horror genre. I've 
uh, I don't really enjoy those films, so I tend not to seek them out. And the the horror genre is broad enough that um, you know I've watched people online have arguments over whether you know what constitutes a horror film or otherwise, not, and and my eyes glaze over. <laughs> Uh, so, I you know I I really I don't know like it's you know that you know, you you get people sort of having getting into these inane, um, intricate discussions over whether something's a slasher film or a horror film. No, that's a slasher film. That's you know, and it's like oh god. Um, so I don't. Uh, the answer is I don't really know. I mean, I guess it's a horror film, but it's a horror film aimed at, I think, at teenagers who aren't able to watch real horror yet but it's like an intro a kind of relatively safe introduction and the fact that it has such a dark ending i think is um to its credit for and i think that yeah the 14 year old boys would get would get a big kick out of it because that it, it's the kind of thing that they that they would go wow i didn't see that coming that's really clever and now they now they have a better sense of what's possible in the genre mm. Mm. That's interesting. Um, so you don't you don't think it um, fits in with something like uh, Rare Exports or perhaps even um, Gremlins or if we really want to push the boat out, um, Nightmare Before Christmas. Um, Gremlins came to mind while I was watching it, and but I don't think of Gremlins as a horror film, and I don't actually think of Rare Exports as a horror film either. Mm. You know, I mean, Rare Exports is more like a monster movie than a horror film. Yeah, and I don't know, but here I am. Here I am going into that arcane. Um, <laughs> d- 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 <laughs> we could possibly make the argument that Rare Exports is even more of a horror film because people actually die. That's true. Whereas they perhaps necessarily don't in Krampus. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Maybe. I mean, uh, but yeah, we're getting into the semantics. Of it. <laughs> I, I just want to note that this movie, sorry, Dan, was released uh, in December in most territories and the thirtieth of November in the USA. When's, when's, when's Halloween? When's Halloween? Is that October? Okay, so... 31st of October. So, okay, cut, cut, cut all of that last bit out. Um, no, I, I, had a, I had an assumption that, uh, that it was definitely earlier than Christmas when it was released, but, uh, yeah, October 31st is the, Halloween. The IMDb trivia tells me it was supposed to be released in October, but then I think, I guess it was a studio decision to make it a Christmas film because Christmas holidays, more money, I don't know. Yeah, yeah maybe. Well, it's also, like, Christmas time set, but... Uh, Shane Black always sets his movies at Christmas and they come out whenever. <laughs> That's true. Okay. Um, Andy, do you have any final thoughts? Wrap it up. Um, not really. It's it's one that I, I actually really enjoyed it um, as a film whilst watching it. I don't know that, yeah, I would necessarily have it as a Christmas tradition to, to rewatch this. Um, I'd probably be more likely to watch Trick or Treat Right. Every Halloween. Right, right. Um, just in terms of uh, the writer director's previous work. Mm. Yeah. And sure, there's there's really no big New Zealand connection. Remember, this <laughs> this season is called it. Quality Imports. So these are films <laughs> that are shot here. And I said uh, <laughs> in the outset that they have a significant <laughs> New Zealand uh, aspect. Uh, this one doesn't doesn't have any sort of New Zealand aspect whatsoever. But it's a film that Andy well, we can see. we made the puppets. We'd made the well, puppets, which are amazing. Yeah, the, and yes, it's one that I can actually uh, watch. And the score is the score is recorded by the New Zealand Symphony Orchestra. Uh, it's there's a considerable musical contribution by Plan Nine. 
um, costume design. My my lovely wife told me, uh, she said, oh, Bob Buck. When we were looking at the opening credits, Bob Buck. And I went, Bob Buck, who's who's he? And, uh, and uh, he... Uh, did uh, he started off working on uh river queen the water horse uh and then uh the warrior's way which is like didn't that get what that was called the laundry warrior for a, a, for a, a bit yeah, while. yeah yeah and then and then he sort of took over on on the hobbit near the end of production of that so um so you know that's that's not inconsiderable new zealand um content when you're when you're a a, a kind of an above the line sort of Creative, creative, yeah, yeah, contribution, yeah, yeah. We, we, we got. We, there's nothing like a Mari Haka, like we saw in No Way Out or uh, Tim Morrison in <laughs> Vertical Limit. But, um, um, I, I would say that this is going on my list to watch every Christmas. Um, I have, a, I don't have, I don't like have a big Christmas tradition of films, but I tend to watch. Uh, uh, what was that Jimmy Stewart film, which I've just forgotten the name of? It's uh, a, it's a wonderful life. It's a wonderful life. I watch that every year. I watch Die Hard every year. Uh, and to add to the eclectic mix, I'm probably going to add this, especially because my wife really 100% connected with it. She loved it. Uh, yeah, we our, our Christmas tradition here is Arthur Christmas, the Ardman film. <laughs> oh right. And oh, genius. Yeah, <laughs> and and seriously, Christmas Eve will never will we'll, we will never have a Christmas Eve where we don't watch Arthur Christmas as a as a as a family with all the with you know we have people come and stay and and uh, we all sort of gather around and that's that for me it's uh, and that gives you an idea about my sensibility <laughs> I, I think, don't, I've never seen to, it what's it like is it sorry we're just discussing that film it's fantastic okay I'll, Arthur Christmas is great I'll go yeah it's, that one out. okay to watch yeah it's Ardman so. It's beautifully voiced. It's very, very funny, and uh, it's you know Bill Nighy as Grandpa Christmas is just gold. Oh, good. Oh, Bill Nighy. He's always a he's always a positive. Uh, so this one gets five out of five for um, featuring uh, Midas and Mega and Petoni for me. That was <laughs> my <laughs> big highlight of the film. <laughs> Rajiv, Can't argue with Rajiv's that. two thumbs up for Midas and Mega. <laughs> Plus, it was uh, slow motion. The entire opening sequence is slow motion, and also I thought that was great. I thought that was a. I thought that was a really, really that boded well for the rest of it, which then kind of didn't deliver for me. Oh. That was that was that. Maybe that was maybe it, that was like, it. I maybe I was just disappointed that it wasn't as good as that as that opening sequence. Mm. Yeah, and that opening sequence really sort of sets what the entire film is going to be about. Yeah, and I and, and I like, wanted it to be like as funny very, as that. Well. I wanted the rest of it to be as funny as that. Yeah, Inter- interesting choice. I'm just thinking of that kid sitting under the tree crying. Oh, that was hilarious. <laughs> Lots of people I know in that in that in that opening sequence as well, uh, which is always good. Uh, I think that I think we're good. Does anyone else have anything they want to mention? You? No, I'm done. You've been an excellent uh, oh. co-host, Dan. Uh, it's been great to have you on board. You've 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 actually added a well thought out, well reasoned, and well researched uh, aspect to our show, which is often not there. So thank you very much for that. Oh, my <laughs> pleasure. Thanks thanks very much for inviting me. Yeah, yeah, well, hopefully we can. Thank you very much, Dan. Do some more. Where can they find you, Dan, on on the internet? All right, on the internet, I'm uh, Dan Slevin, all one word on Twitter, uh, Instagram, Snapchat, which I've never snapped a single chat on, um, <laughs> and uh, the show that uh, Kaylee Carruthers and I do every sort of fortnight ish uh, is called Rancho Notorious, and that's Rancho Podcast, all one word on Twitter. Uh, and you can find various... We tend to sort of retweet fun stuff through that account. Um, and also I uh, write for Radio New Zealand, the RNZ website, on a page called Widescreen. So 
Um, there's various bits and pieces that appear uh, on there. And on Tuesday afternoons at about 1.30, I talk about films, not current films, but um, different film-related topics with uh, Jesse Mulligan on Afternoons on RNZ, so 101 FM. Great. I've listened to all of those things, and I can vouch and say, if you care about my opinion, I like those things very much. I've not listened to any of them, but I keep seeing them coming up in the Twitter, and I think, I really would like to listen to that, but I can't because I'm about to have dinner and then go to bed. Well, you should... There, because of the time It's on the internet, Andrew. You should download it and listen to it. Where, where can they find you, Andrew? Oh. Oh, is it? Oh, good. Oh, the internet's so handy for things. Um, like finding me on the Twitter at AndyJames underscore Inc. with a K. And I believe that's also my Instagram, but I'm not on Snapchat. I'm, I'm not on Snapchat or Instagram. You can find me on the Twitter at uh, Rajivfilm, R-A-J-E-E-V-F-I-L-M. Uh, this has been our seventh episode of the NDZ, uh of Film Season 2. Uh, we'd like to say thanks very much to our special guest, Dan Sleven. Thank you. Thanks, Dan. Catch you guys all soon. Cheerio.